Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 262 of Selling the Couch. I hope you are doing well, having a good start to the new year. I'm actually recording this in late December two days before Christmas. And yeah, I am doing well, (laughs) given everything. I know that vaccines have started to roll out. And I'm hoping by the time this episode starts is becomes live that you know, more of us have will be able to get the vaccine if you would like to get the vaccine, of course. And um, yeah, I just more than anything just wanted to encourage you to, you know, continue to lean on your loved ones, your social support, lean on our Selling the Couch community as we navigate all of this. Today's podcast session is with Dr. Lindsay Brooks. Lindsay is a licensed psychologist. Her website is at drlindsaytherapy.com. And we're talking all about developing a multicultural niche in private practice. I know that especially given everything that has happened in our country particularly this year and, and and definitely in years past, but I think really has been magnified with, you know, racial injustice, the continued murders of black men and women and, and men and women, all of those different things. I know that many of us are thinking about what it looks like to be a uh, clinician in private practice and how do we show up, uh, especially um, if we want how do we show up in our multicultural identities, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And so uh, Lindsay is here to share um, some of the things that she has learned along the way. Her niche is underrepresented achievers. We're going to be talking about how Lindsay came upon that niche, how she gathers ideas to be able to speak to that population on her website and all of those different things, including some really cool tips for like taking voice notes and all of those different things. And even some of the things that I started doing just to make that process a lot easier to be able to get like good copy content versus, you know, sticking to more academic language, which I know a lot of us struggle with. We are going to then transition to talking about what a multicultural practice looks like for Lindsay, and then a common mistake that Lindsay sees when clinicians do try to develop multicultural practices. Hey friends, we are on sabbatical from the STC podcast. This is my first sabbatical in seven years, but we will be back in April with brand new episodes of the STC podcast. In the meantime, there are a lot of things happening still with STC. 
among them is a brand new workshop that we put together for you that you can sign up at a date and time that works for you. If you are a successful private practitioner and interested in launching an online course, you can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. So we'll get right to today's podcast session. Here's my conversation with Dr. Lindsay Brooks from drlindsaytherapy.com. Hey, Lindsay, welcome to Selling the Couch. Hey, Melvin, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I've listened for so long, so I can't believe I'm talking to you live. <laughs> well, I'm really grateful for your time. Uh, I know you're out in California and uh, you're a trooper for being willing to record this at 7 a.m. And uh, and uh, yeah, so thank you oh, on course. my end as well. Of course, no problem. Um, you have been busy in private practice doing like so many interesting things and I I wanted to even before we get into our conversation I just wanted to tell you like just looking through your website I felt like there was just a real sense I got to know you you know and I feel like that's something that a lot of clinicians struggle with so I just wanted to give you like props on that because oh, you do that you. so well so mm, that means a lot yeah I put a lot of thought and effort into it and want it to really be genuine so that means a lot no and maybe we can actually just kind of start there you said you did put a lot of like work and thought into that. I guess, what did that look like? Was it, you know, like brainstorming? Like what, I mean, what did that even look like on, you know, at a practical level? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I spent a lot of time really just thinking about my niche and thinking about who I wanted to serve and then wanted to make sure, okay, I'm really speaking to that. Like I'm speaking to the people I want to speak to and I'm speaking from a place of service. So just having that mindset was a big piece of it to switch from like, let me, you know, present my CV and all the things I've done <laughs> to just <laughs> kind of get away from that academic mindset and think about I'm speaking to a real person and make sure I'm speaking to them and to give myself permission to be more real and not a blank slate. So I think it was a lot of mindset <laughs> work was the main thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like this is even some, I, many of us struggle with, I struggle with as well, right? Because we go through undergrad, grad school, apply for jobs, like, you know, all these sorts of things. And it's always our achievements are what, you know, what's told should be emphasized, right? But especially in developing a private practice, particularly one that's more niched, there is this there's a lot of wisdom, I think, in, in showing up in the way that makes the most sense for you. How did you even, again, just sort of at a practical level, so you, you, you know, we all grow up with this training, right? Like you got to highlight your CV, you got to do all of this. How did you like hold that sort of fear or anxiety or even power, right? But then say, you know what, I have to show up on my website in a way that connects with those who I'm meant to serve. Yeah, I think building community that shared a different story <laughs> really helped. You know, I, I found a community of folks who are also starting private practice and trying to kind of undo that learning. So surrounding myself with those people and, and talking with them really helped. And then I also, something I did that I, I just, this idea came to me, I don't know where it came from, but instead of like sitting down and writing, 
I did like voice memos into my phone. Like I just started talking to my phone almost as if I was talking to a person. And that generated like a lot of ideas. And then I just actually like just started transcribing that and took that as my starting point. And I think that just helped kind of break out of the old patterns. That's so awesome. I, okay. So the, like the nerd in me is going to totally like try to dissect all of this. So <laughs> you transcribed voice memos. And so when, mm-hmm. okay, let's, you're, I imagine like you're going on a walk, you're taking a hike, maybe you're at the mm-hmm. grocery store. Or I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. Like random yep. cooking, right. What are you transcribing? Like just random thoughts or like things that you could say to like, what's te- take us a little inside that. Yeah. Sometimes it was random thoughts like, oh, make sure you include this or make sure you include that. But I think what was most helpful was talking like as if I was actually talking to the client, like, oh, you're going through this or that, right? So, you know, my niche is working with underrepresented achievers. So a big part of that is often like um, struggling with believing you're enough, right? So say things like, oh, so (laughs) you're dealing with that feeling that you're not enough. That feeling comes up again, like talking almost as if it was a real conversation, which sounds a little kooky as I (laughs) say it out loud now. (laughs) But I think that helped me get into more of that conversational style and come up with some of those more genuine words and language that I can then translate over to the website. Right. Yeah. No. And I don't think it's kooky at all. Like, because <laughs> I think one of the things is, you know, it it's helping you to break out of that academic mindset and into mm-hmm. almost like human language. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I do something like very similar with voice dictation. And even like one thing I've recently been doing is I have a friend who's actually also in California. He's like, he's a, he's a YouTuber. He's like an online creator. And so entrepreneurs are sort of my space. And so, uh, so obviously he's not a client, but he's like my perfect client. Right. Mm, And so mm -hmm. one of the things we do is like a mastermind. And we discovered recently that you can use zoom and, um, there's a software program called otter.ai, which is like artificial intelligence transcription, like real-time transcription. And so essentially what we'll do is we'll get on zoom And I'll ask him stuff like, you know, what are your biggest fears as an entrepreneur or what are your biggest hopes, right? And this thing will transcribe our conversation in the background so that at the end of it, we have this nice transcription and then I can go through and like highlight key things he said, you know, which to incorporate into like a website. So I don't think what you're doing, I don't even think what you're doing is like, you know, crazy at all. Like, I think it's smart because- for example, you know, we, you know, in, in clinician speak, we might be like, you know, seems like your self-esteem really, you know, is at a certain place. And, you know, like that's mm-hmm. maybe not what, you know, underrepresented achievers are necessarily saying, right? Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think I've had anyone say, <laughs> oh, <laughs> struggling with self-esteem, you know, the, you got to right. think about what are the, what are the words real people use, not just yeah. us and <laughs> our jargon. Right. Um, what are you using to like just dic- dictate just the like the voice thing on your iPhone or what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just the voice app. And then how are you um, transcribing it? What do you usually use? 
I, I'm old school. I listen to it and then I type. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> back to back to our grad school days uh-huh. of uh, transcribing uh-huh. uh, practicum videos, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I joke about that, but I actually think that would be really kind of empowering because it would allow you to hone in on on certain phrases and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I found it useful for my process just to be really like engaged with it and that it was, you know, many iterations and tweaking and I will still continue to tweak it, but it's going to have my hands in it more, I think helped me. Uh, Are these recordings like more spontaneous or do you like set aside time to like almost brainstorm or think through things? Just spontaneous. Yeah. Yeah. I find I usually get the most like creative ideas when I just let them come spontaneously really random question. So I feel like many of us have really great ideas and we have those ideas that like spontaneously come, at least for me, there's a moment where I have an idea and then I'm like, oh, that's a dumb idea versus like, oh, I should probably write that down or, Mm -hmm. you know, or record it. (laughs) How Mm -hmm. do you take that step to actually record it versus being like, oh, Lindsay, that's a dumb idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just think I really, I really practice that self-compassion and just really give myself permission to like, just, you know, say whatever is coming to your mind. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be perfect. And just put it out there. And, you know, I'm going to hone it and make sure I like it before I put it out there into the world. But like when I'm just with myself brainstorming, just really trying to quiet any of those voices of judgment. I I have this image of like working with clay on a potter's wheel, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you first have that piece of clay, just a lump of clay, right? And the most important step you take is to put that clay on the wheel, right? And slowly over time it molds, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and I, I don't know, I just had that image as you were talking because I think that's right. Like the most important step is to put it on there, right? get get that idea out there and then, you can tweak and refine and all of those things. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So on your website, you share that underrepresented achievers are my people, which I, by the way, I love that phrasing. Mm. Tell us more about how you found this space. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's, that was a phrase that came to me in, you know, a brainstorming and talking out loud um, session. And I found it really, really fits, but you know, how I came to that as, oh, that's what I want my specialty to be and my focus, you know, as with everything, I think, you know, commonly starts back with our family. And when I look back at, at, you know, my story and I think back to my mom and growing up with her as, you know, she was an awesome, badass first generation college student. And she was going to college when I was growing up. Um, So she grew up in a time in the 50s and 60s in a more conservative area where there wasn't an expectation or resources for her to go to college and that women particularly um, would go to college. And so I grew up in a situation where she was, you know, going to college, working and taking care of two kids and seeing her, you know, deal with the barrier she was dealing with just to get her college education. I'm sure I could not articulate it at the time as a kid, um, 
But now looking back, I can see how, you know, that planted a seed of empathy for anyone struggling with these systemic barriers that get in the way of, you know, something as simple as wanting to get an education. Um, and then, you know, as I got to know myself more and have my own experiences, understand my own identities, having my own experiences with that, you know, both as a woman, as a queer, bisexual person, I've had experience of being the only one of those identities in the room or the one of very few have experienced that pressure of, oh, I've got to represent my group. You know, I want to make sure I'm, I'm advocating for my group and speaking up for my group. And ooh, also everyone is looking at me, you know, as the representative and the pressure that's there. And so, I, you know, I've had my own moments of, you know, struggles with, with those feelings as well. But then over time learning, oh, okay, I also have privilege that has helped me navigate those barriers, you know, for myself as a white person, a white therapist, thinking about how all those things weave together began to form an ally identity. So it was kind of my journey over, you know, college and graduate school. And so then once the time came to start a private practice, it just felt really natural that I wanted to bring all those pieces of my experience together that I really wanted to serve people who have similar experiences to me and support them, as well as differing experiences to me that face different systemic barriers and be an ally and be of service. Um, so it just felt like a really natural outgrowth that, of course, I want to serve the communities I'm most passionate about supporting. Yeah, I think um, you just articulated that so well. I, I feel like some of the best private practitioners are the ones who private practice is not just a means of income, but it's rooted in their own story, right? And how they've been able to weave their own stories and narratives into, into their private practice. How do you figure out for you, because this is a, honestly, this is a struggle for me. How do you figure out what parts of your story or identity show up in private practice and what parts you kind of hold back just because like, you know, like privacy or any of those kind of things, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, in general, you know, I think I take a pretty feminist perspective, which is like that we're all real people <laughs> with real experiences and we can't, pretend that we can totally keep those at the door. So to a degree, I think I bring all of those things into the room. As I say that, though, I don't disclose a lot, which is interesting, <laughs> right? But I think it's just in the way I embody it and the way, you know, people seek me out knowing, oh, okay, she holds a social justice perspective. They see that on my website. I think they see that and how I interact with them and the questions I ask them. So it comes through, but also without me sharing a lot of detail. Yeah. So I think where the, the line is for me, I don't share a lot of detail about, oh, this is the personal struggle I had. Here's you know, the emotions I had, and here's the thing I had to get over. You know, I don't share that. Um, but it may make statements as like, oh, you know, as marginalized people, we sometimes go through blah, blah, blah. You know, so I, I might join with 
them to help them feel seen and understood. Um, but making sure, of course, the space is about them and them getting support. It's not sharing a lot of detail about my experience. Yeah, um, that makes perfect sense. So it's almost like you focus on the overarching value and the overarching experience as opposed to going into the the mm-hmm. details, right? At least, at mm-hmm. least in session. Now yeah. for things like a website or even like when a client calls, like, I guess, what is that line for you to like, do you self-disclose more on your website? Like, and if so, like, what's that? And again, I know this isn't so black and white, but, you know, just kind of curious because I've always been curious about how, you know, clinicians make that determination with regard to like disclosure and self-disclosure. Sure. Yeah. Well, for me, I think it's really important for people of all underrepresented identities to know that you are safe to, you know, to open up to and to be around. Um, And so that, that's what helps me guide the decision. I'm like, okay, I I think it would help people feel safe to know that I consider myself a white ally. For some queer people, it's really important to know my therapist has that shared experience. So, okay, I'm going to share that identity. So I think that what is what helps to guide it. Yeah. I think even as you're talking, I think one thing I, I keep coming back to is, you know, does me sharing this piece of information, does it empower people and does it give people a sense of the space that I'm creating for them? And if and if that doesn't, then maybe I, sh- I should think about if I want to share it. And if it does, then maybe it's okay to share. And then I have to kind of make that determination of how I want to share it in a way that's empowering. Mm, that's a great way to think about it. Yeah, no, it's a it's a balance for sure. Um, but, <laughs> Definitely. Um, I wanted to shift a little bit. You have this, you know, this unique sort of niche, right? And for you, what does a multicultural practice look like? Yeah. So for me, it really means setting the intention that I want to serve a diverse community in my practice, and being very intentional about that within myself, and intentional about that in my marketing in the way I work, um, that it's really infused in everything. Um, And so that's not just like, okay, I took a multicultural class in grad school and like, I'm good, so I can have a multicultural practice. But really stating, okay, that is my specialty. That's who I want to serve. And I'm going to make sure I'm I'm doing the ongoing work to um, grow and continue to, you know, increase my awareness because it's an ongoing lifelong process. Yeah, right. It's uh yeah, like you just said it so well. It's not one grad school. It's it's a process. So, I guess practically what does that look like? I mean, ongoing trainings, like setting aside like time, you know, every week or every month to like what yeah, I'm just kind of curious. Mhm. Yeah. Well, a few things. I got a lot of thoughts on that. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's really important to do ongoing work, not just in like, okay, I, I took a CE on this particular topic, but to do kind of the, the deeper work of looking within yourself and understanding your own identities, your own unconscious biases, ways they might be playing out. And so for me, I find doing that with 
in the context of a, a group, a community of people is the most helpful. And I really recommend that. So uh, the way I, I do that right now in, in my life is I have, uh, we call it a book club, but it's really more of a, I would say it's more of a consciousness raising group, but it's a, a social justice book club of about um, six or seven of us. And we choose a social justice theme book and read it together. But we don't just read it and discuss it academically. We read it and talk about in depth, like, how does this apply to my life? What are, you know, my blind spots I'm still working on? Um, we challenge each other and push each other. And so really having that kind of space to keep actively growing. Um, and that's a group of people with all, you know, different identities. So we all have different perspectives and can really learn and grow from each other. Um, so I find that super helpful and really powerful. And so I would encourage people to create a version of something like that that works for them or joining, you know, there's already, you know, existing groups, for example, like Surge is an organization that's, I believe nationwide, it's called, stands for Standing Up for Racial Justice. Um, so that's a great organization that, you know, has many preformed groups where you can explore and understand your privilege and then also has many kind of like activism things you can get involved with um, as well. So even just finding a, a preformed group that you can join, if that's hard to find just naturally in your community where you can continue to have those conversations on a regular basis. And it's not just, okay, every year, every two years, I go to a training and I, I check the box. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, like so much of this is doing our own work and the courage to do our own work. And I guess almost holding positions loosely, right? And assumptions loosely, maybe that's that's the more accurate phrase, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you guys started this group, was it, so, I mean, how did you like decide, <laughs> you know, hey, we're going to talk about social justice books and these are important, like spontaneous or was this play like, I'm very curious how you guys even started this. Yeah. I mean, it was just a group of friends that, I mean, we all have this personal commitment. I mean, that's part of just what I, I think just brought us together as friends. Mm -hmm. And it, I can't even remember who had the idea, but they're like, oh, let's, you know, let's get together regularly and make sure we're, we're actively doing this. Um, when we would just naturally have those conversations when we were together anyway, socially. So somehow, yeah, just spontaneously came out of the group and it's been really, really lovely and has grown over time. You know, we've added people and um, we've, we've changed how we do it, you know, used to be in person. Now it's online, obviously, you know, we change the frequency depending on what's going on with people's lives. So it's, it's really flexible. And, and I find that that helps us maintain it. It's like, okay, we can make this be what, what we all need it to be depending on the season of our life, the moment that we're in. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, are these all clinicians or out folks that aren't clinicians and non-clinicians? Yeah, it's a mix. Yeah. Nice. Clinicians, non-clinicians. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, I think, really important too, to like yeah. talk about these issues with not psychologists to get, mm -hmm. get another perspective. Cause sometimes we can get in our bubble it's like, oh, this is how we talk about this stuff. And then to be like, oh, wait a minute. Like <laughs> this terminology doesn't make sense outside of our bubble. Or, you know, here's a whole different way that I never thought about it because 
you know, I don't talk about this stuff, you know, in this kind of casual atmosphere as often. So, so that's really useful. Yeah. I I don't know if this has happened, but I would, I would imagine that this group also, it's like, they get to know you, they get to know your perspective. And I would imagine Mm -hmm. like, you know, these members have inevitably like would refer clients and things to you, you know? Like would tell a friend or any of those things, right? Because they're getting to know you at a real level. Absolutely. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about (laughs) that, that aspect of it consciously, but for sure. Yeah. If people get to know you well and see, oh, you know, you're invested Mm -hmm. in doing this ongoing self-reflection, of course, people are going to connect with that and and think of you and want to refer to you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I've often struggled with is like that word, like marketing, I think like terrifies a lot of terrifies me you know because mm-hmm. I, I feel like i don't market <laughs> like i just want to like show up and you know and maybe yeah. that's it. that is what it is right like something a group like this it's the beautiful thing is like you get to have genuine connection and conversations and in showing up in the way that makes you know like as you are right that itself is like a form of marketing if you you know if you want to sort of talk in the private practice space right sure totally i wanted to ask a final question which is you know what do you think is a common mistake that clinicians make when they are trying to develop a sort of a multicultural niche yeah um a few things come to mind i think i kind of see people struggle with two ends of the continuum. So I think there are folks who um, kind of feel like, okay, I took the multicultural classes in grad school. I, you know, take C's every once in a while and I'm good. Like I'm good. I'm an expert (laughs) and see them not doing that ongoing work like we were talking about. So for those folks, I would really encourage them to find a way to be more actively involved and to look within on a more regular basis. And then I see the other end of the continuum where I see people who like, you know, I know personally, I know in their daily lives, they're committed to these issues. They're working on them. They're very aware of them. They, you know, they want to serve a diverse community of clients, but then I don't see them translating that into their websites or into how they talk to people. Where I see them, I think, getting a little more stuck in the, I have to be a blank slate, I can't disclose, those kind of things. And so they're not as open about that when I feel like, wow, they have so much to offer. I wish they could let other people see that a little bit more. Um, So it's almost like they're already walking the walk, but I want them to talk the talk (laughs) more. Yeah, great. And I think particularly, I think that was always important, but particularly in this moment that we're in right now in our country, I think it's really important to be transparent about it, especially for white therapists who hold an anti-racist stance, which I hope they all do. (laughs) But that I, I think that's particularly important to be transparent about, like how, how, Will clients of color know that you're a safe person and you're safe to talk about these issues with and that they could even begin to try to trust you if you're not open and transparent about that? Absolutely. And I mean, and I just want to like tell you like also like the courage it takes to do that because 
I mean, there's inevitably going to be pushback, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think if people don't know that what you stand for and who you are, you know, how will people know? Especially when you have are in a position of privilege. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's our responsibility to use our privilege in ways to serve. And that requires taking a little bit of risk that might feel uncomfortable. Um, but I think that's that's really important, right? That's that's the real work right there. Like even just you saying like, oh, it's a risk in my mind. I'm like, well, that's a risk we need to take. Like, <laughs> that's, an, that's an important risk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Lindsay, our time flew by. Uh, you've got a lot of things going on. And among them is uh, you're starting a sexual empowerment groups for women. Tell us more about that and, and where we can learn more. Sure, Absolutely. Well, I think one one of the things that is really important to me with having a multicultural practice is really like staying culturally humble and listening to my clients and hearing what they need and continuing, you know, to grow in my training, what I offer them. So this has been an area that kind of grew out of that idea where I noticed a theme across the women in my caseload from you know, diverse cultural backgrounds, diverse sexual orientations, um, that they were really needing and wanting more information on sex and kind of needing to fill in this gap in sex education that they've had in their lives. So, so I went and saw more training in sex therapy, which I really enjoy. And then I'm also in the process of developing some sexual empowerment workshops for women. And so I'm really excited to build that community and offer that to help kind of fill that gap that I saw as a systemic need um, for women. So I'm really excited about that. And if people want to learn more about that, we've got a little Instagram community um, and they can find that at Sexual Empowerment School on Instagram. Perfect. And I'll link to it uh, on the show notes page as well. Lindsay, thank you so much again uh, for this time. I Again, I can't believe the time flew by, but <laughs> I really am just so grateful for you. I'm grateful for allies like you and that show up in the world with, with humility and grace. And yeah, I just wanted to say thank you. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lindsay. And especially if you have been struggling with either website copy or thinking through how you can show up in all of your varying multicultural identities, I hope that today's podcast session uh, more than anything has given you a sense of empowerment. Lindsay mentioned a number of different things and a different number of different tips, and you can find all of that on the show notes page for today's episode, which you can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 262. As I was thinking about uh, this session, one of the main things that I just took away was how empowering it is to show up in the way that we are meant to show up and just how empowering it is for us as private practitioners, as business owners, and how empowering it is for others who may come across our uh, our services. The other thing that, that 
I really um, took away. And actually, I'm going to be creating a future podcast episode on note taking and and sort of how to you know capture ideas. But I, that was really helpful for me to hear from Lindsay that sometimes when she has an idea for her private practice or a blog post or some sort of marketing related item that she just tries to write down the idea, knowing that it may not be the final product, but that process of writing it down just opens up her mind to the creative process to be able to tweak and refine it. Hey friends, we are on sabbatical from the STC podcast. This is my first sabbatical in seven years, but we will be back in April with brand new episodes of the STC podcast. In the meantime, there are a lot of things happening still with STC. Uh, Among them is a brand new workshop that we put together for you that you can sign up at a date and time that works for you. If you are a successful private practitioner and interested in launching an online course, you can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, Lindsay's website is over at drlindsaytherapy.com. And you can also follow the Instagram channel, which is over at sexual.empowerment.school. Have a great rest of your day and I will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.